Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And from Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a light, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we respond to the reading of your word with the words, thanks be to God, as an acknowledgement that we as your people do not live by bread alone, but instead we live from every word that comes from your mouth. So Lord, it is our prayer that in your kindness and your mercy, you would do in this moment the thing that only you can do. By the power of your spirit, would you make these words in your word alive? Lord, would you take the words that I've prepared and would you use them to great effect in our hearts in our souls and in our lives, or to the end that much hope in our Lord Jesus would be stirred up among us tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, the Bible has a lot of names for Jesus. So for example, the scriptures will call our Lord Jesus a name like the King of Kings. It will call him a name like the Lord of Lords. Scriptures will call our Lord Jesus the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Friend of Sinners, the Book of Revelation, the Alpha, and the Omega, the First and the Last. But maybe one name for Jesus that we can add to that list tonight is Jesus Christ, the Master of the Metaphor. See, in Jesus' teaching, he's always using these symbols in order to help get his people into this world of ideas that couldn't be accomplished by just simply saying it in a sentence. Because that's what metaphors do. They enliven the hearer's ears and imagination into a whole world of thought. See, for example, Jesus will call himself using a metaphor. He'll say... I am the door. 
And the minute you hear Jesus say, I am the door, it enters you into just a whole world of doors and what doors do and what would it look like to pass through a door in my own life. It just opens you up in a way that Jesus is simply saying, hey, by the way, I'm the access to God. Like, it just doesn't quite do it the same way. I'll tell you that because tonight we get another example of Jesus as the master of the metaphor. But instead of talking about himself, he is talking about tonight you. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. And it's one of his most famous metaphors that he uses. He calls us, his people, salt. And he calls us light. So tonight, in the few minutes that we have together, I want us to do really three things. First of all, I want us to ask the question, what is Jesus saying here? When he is describing his people as salt, when he's describing his people as light, what is our Savior saying to us? Secondly, I want us to heed the warning that Jesus gives us in this passage. Thirdly, I want to assure you of what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue to do in you, through you, in us, and through us, so we can have a great hope in him tonight. So if you like outlines from preachers in advance, that's the direction this sermon will go. But in all of it, there's a main thing I hope you hear. If you don't hear anything else I say, I want to make sure that you hear this. It's the simple truth that our Lord Jesus invites you and me to be a faithful presence in our world. That's what he's doing. That's what he promises to do, to make us a faithful presence in his world. So let's take a look together at his words in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. You are, Jesus says, the salt of the earth. Look with me at verse 14. You are, Jesus says, the light of the world. It's important to catch from the beginning that Jesus is talking about something that is already being accomplished in his disciples. He's not saying you could be the light of the world if you would get a little more focused. He's not saying you could be the the salt of the earth if you would get your act together and start getting serious. He's simply saying that these, his disciples, as he's preaching to them in this famous Sermon on the Mount with a ton of people gathered, he's saying that they already are these things. And that's important. And we're going to return to this in a few minutes. Let's talk about this a bit further again in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. When Jesus calls you salt, what does he mean? Well, it's a metaphor, which means it's intended to open us up to a Vast array of things that Jesus means. See, salt in the ancient world was often a preservative. Perhaps that's its most obvious sort of meaning. Salt would be massaged and rubbed into meats. 
because meats could not be refrigerated and that would cure them in some ways. This is the same. This is, by the way, the way cured meats work today. If you go and, and order something with a slice of salami, like that has been cured by salt. That's what, how it goes. That's what happens. That's your charcuterie boards. That's what's happening here, okay? If you don't know what a charcuterie board is, then congratulations to you, okay? <laughs> Preservative. So Jesus is saying somehow as his people are living and moving in the world that they have a preserving influence in a world that is rotten. In the ancient world, salt had a note of, of presence. If you tasted something, you would know instinctively that it was salty. It, it marks things. It flavors. It leaves its mark. If you were in the ancient world and you wanted to flavor up a dish just like us, you might use salt to flavor it. His people, God's people, Jesus' people are intended to bring some sort of pleasantness in the world that he's made. Perhaps maybe less obvious is the idea of permanence. See, the Romans, when they would conquer lands, they would sow the soil with salt in, in order that that soil would be permanently, permanently, the chemical composition would be permanently thrown out of whack to where it could never be farmed again. It has something to do with permanence. I remember one time I was cooking in a, a dish and um, I went to shake a little salt and, and the top of the salt shaker fell off and all the salt went into the, the dish and it was permanently <laughs> marked. I quickly Google searched, how do you make something less salty? And you get a whole lot of nothing. It's permanently marked. So God's people, as they live and move, at least point our attention to the permanent things. Perhaps somewhat underrated is the way that salt would have a covenantal use. Often salt would be spread on a piece of bread and eaten when covenants are being made. And when you think of all these uses plus the covenantal one, you're beginning to get a flavor for what it is that Jesus is talking about. See, the book of Isaiah in particular, which stands in the background of this Sermon on the Mount, is... It's found throughout themes from Isaiah. And in fact, one of the themes in the book of Isaiah that's found is this idea of a new covenant that God is making. That a suffering servant would come and bring salvation in a new covenant in order to do something in this world unique and unprecedented. So what about this idea of light? Look with me again in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. What does Jesus mean when he's calling you and I and his disciples light? Again, it's a metaphor, so it has a richness of meaning. In the Old Testament, light is often a symbol of God's presence. In the Old Testament, light is a symbol of revelation or knowledge, something being shown to you that you would not have otherwise known or understood. 
It has to do with helping someone see something. And in the same way, Jesus' people are supposed to live in such a way that new things about God are revealed to people, that new ways of seeing are being shown to people, that God's presence is supposed to mark wherever his people are in order that, that a dark world can be lit up with his grace and mercy. In the Isaiah passage I read for you, you heard me read of this calling that Israel be the light to the nations. So just to sum it all up, Jesus is saying something. He's saying something along the lines of us as his people. We are these new covenant people. We are agents of his grace and mercy. That everywhere we go, the presence of God goes with us. That we are to have an influence in this world that God has made. That we're to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness and into light. That we are to be, as we'll learn more about next week, ministers of reconciliation in our world. See, if you're a Christian today, you were called by God's spirit to be that kind of missionary in all the places that you find yourself. Think of yourself as an agent of God's grace as a sign of God's goodness and mercy everywhere that you go. It sounds good. It sounds exciting, but Jesus wants us to be warned as we think about these things. Again, in verse 13, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He goes on to say that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. They set it out so it can give light to a house. See, Jesus is challenging us as his hearers by warning us that sometimes we can live out of step with who God has called us to be. We can be something that we're not. So rather than being an agent of grace and mercy, our saltiness, if you will, can become diluted by other substances so it doesn't really have the preserving effect it's supposed to. This truth that Jesus has made us the light of the world the scriptures teach us that you and I can have instead fellowship with darkness. We can walk rather than in the light. We can walk in the dark. And in doing so, we can become something that we're not. I, I know for me, I feel this happening to me, this kind of walking outside of who Jesus has made me. I feel it happening to me in, in two primary ways. And it's okay if this is just the way that it happens in me, but, but I do wonder if it happens in you in this way. First of all, I can be, um, like the New Testament warns us about, I can be blown and tossed by every wind and wave. Things that are lies, things that are untrue can unduly sway and influence me. The scriptures teach that there is this 
system called the world that is opposed to the things of God, and it's constantly pressing us into its mold. Jesus would say it causes us to lose our saltiness. It causes us to hide this light that he's made us into. I mean, here's a second way that I feel it happening inside of me. And I'm going to borrow a phrase that I've shared with you many times from this pulpit. And it comes from St. Augustine. That it's very easy as human persons called to be salt and light, called to be Jesus' people, called to be a faithful presence, called to be agents of of grace and mercy in the world. It's extremely easy for us, Augustine's words, to curve in upon ourselves. Where rather than having my eyes open, rather than having my eyes open to those around me, I'm curved in on myself, missing all the ways in which my Lord has called me to be an agent of his grace. I'm curved in on my own fears and insecurities. I'm curved in on my own disappointment and frustration. I wonder if you know that feeling of being curved in. In other words, Jesus' words here are deeply challenging. Jesus is calling in this passage for whole person, complete and total obedience. Complete and total surrender to this call to be agents of grace and mercy in his world. And I don't know about you, but I walked in this room already insecure and heavy-hearted about all the ways that I'm failing to be what Jesus has called me to be. Jesus is calling for whole-person obedience. And these disciples, as well as you and me, often we live a kind of whole-person failure to be agents of his grace and his mercy. See, these disciples who are hearing this sermon will walk away from this sermon. They'll continue to follow Jesus, and all along the way, they will fail him. Which is very serious. But it's not final. See, because this same Jesus will go to the cross to forgive sinners. He'll be raised from the dead to make you and I alive. He'll ascend to the right hand of God the Father to uphold the universe by the word of his power. And he will send forth his spirit on these disciples and on these disciples in order to strengthen them for this work. In other words, this call of this text is not, you should be salt and light. Why don't you go work on that? But instead, it is Jesus is working on that. 
He is at work to make you salt and light, and you are invited to take hold of that call with all of his strength. And one of the beautiful things about this passage is that these disciples, they get there. Jesus brings them there. In the book of Acts, as we've preached through, there are the ones proclaiming with bold witness. They're the ones confronting the powers of the world. They're the ones resisting the devil. They are living into this calling because it is the work that Jesus has done inside them to get them there. I want you to be encouraged tonight because our Lord Jesus is doing the work to get grace fellowship there also. When we began to pray and, and ask that the Lord would make us into a people that would be a faithful presence in his world, we were praying that God would lead our people to be doing things you know, outside the walls of our church family in order to be those who proclaim and celebrate the good news of Jesus in our world. And it gives me joy to report that our Lord is doing this among us. You know, Christian mission, being a part of God's mission, I mean, it takes a few different shapes. And I want to explain a few of them to you with a view toward the way that even people in this room are living into this calling. So first of all, Christian mission, this call to be salt and light, even as Jesus strengthens and empowers us, it takes the shape sometimes of what we might call disciple-making ministry. When we preach and proclaim the gospel and teach and train and equip to worship as a church family. And that happens in here, but it's intended to spill beyond our walls. Just one small example. There's a group from Grace Fellowship led by Caleb and Becca Craft. That have, been, that have begun to lead a worship service at Brookdale Senior Living, which is a place just here in our neighborhood. Um, on one Sunday of every month, a group of folks from Grace um, preach and proclaim the gospel in, at, at Brookdale. Um, faithfully, even in ways you haven't necessarily known, um, they're building relationships among some of the people that the Lord tells us to pay particular attention to. You're slowly and faithfully at work, doing that work. And you're going to get an email this week that explains ways that you could join into that work outside of our walls. This call to be salt and light, even as our Lord Jesus strengthens us. Sometimes it takes the shape of deeds of what we might call mercy outside of our walls. Um, our partnership with Hall Kent Elementary, where we do tutoring for kids who've fallen behind in school. Um, there's been a group who've just faithfully served there for now five or six years each summer. We do a food drive to gather food for families who've fallen behind. Um, it's just slow and faithful work that our people have done. There's Abby Goolsby, a member of our church. Abby's not here tonight, who's been visiting the well house for a few years now to do flower arranging classes at the Wellhouse, which is a ministry for those who are recovering from um, being sex trafficked. And she's invited members of her church into that work. 
There's the partnership we're forming with Unless You, which is an organization in our city that um, serves uh, adults who aren't typically abled, um, but still uh, precious made in the image of God, needing love and support and kindness and mercy, and people from our church family are beginning to explore ways to be involved. There's the Aspire movement. So many of you mentor at-risk urban youth through Aspire. Sometimes this takes the shape of mission work when people go out from our body to preach and proclaim the gospel. Sometimes that looks like conversations that I know are happening among a few people in our church at the ball field. When you sit down your camp chair next to the other dad watching a football practice and suddenly find yourself having a conversation about Jesus. It takes the shape of people like Liz or Jake, or Courtney, or Jamie, who've, who've gone, not locally, to preach and proclaim the gospel, but even to the ends of the earth. His calling to be Jesus' people, to be salt and light, takes the shape of all of you. As you go every week into your vocation, agents of God's grace, the scriptures would teach us ministers of the gospel, sometimes agents of resistance in the ways in which our world would seek to press us, ways in which our enemy would seek to still kill and destroy, but faithful witnesses nonetheless. And, and by the way, this is mostly what I do all week. Mostly what I do all week is to sit down and hear how each of you in all the places that you've been sent are acting as salt and light in our world. See, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, you think you're just going to work. Ha! Scriptures would teach us you're being sent by the power of God's Spirit into this holy calling to be agents of God's grace, of new covenant mercy, wherever you find yourself. I want you to have hope tonight that this is happening among us. And I want to encourage you tonight to keep on pressing on. There's a lot of unknowns in the life of Grace Fellowship. We have never been in a time in our history with as many unknowns as we have right now. If you're not, if you haven't been around um, Grace, it might be good for you to know that we're not even sure where we're gonna have church. That's not a joke. In January. We do know we're going to have it next week, hopefully here. There's a lot of unknowns. But I want to end tonight by telling you of the reality that keeps me pressing on. I want to invite you to think about it with me. I'm not joking when I say this. See, Jesus calls his disciples here to be salt and light. He is making you and I into salt and light. He's doing this work as we trust him. And there is going to come a day, the Bible teaches us, 
when you and I will be gathered around the throne of God with worshipers from every tongue and tribe and nation. Some of those people will be from here. Some of those people, it's promised, will be from Thailand, from Turkey, from Tajikistan, from all the other stands. And, and on that day, the Bible teaches that you and I will have resurrected bodies. So all the aches will be healed. The Bible teaches us that all the things that right now are fleeting and fading will yield to permanent joy. The Bible teaches us that on that day we won't even need a son because the Lord himself will be our light. The need for us to be light will be no longer necessary because we will live in the light in all its fullness. The Bible teaches us that in that day, all the things right now we see dimly, we will see clearly, even so much that we will see our Savior face to face. We will see him, the Bible teaches us, as he actually is. On that day, there will be a feast that will celebrate all that our God has done, and everyone who's thirsty will be able to drink Book of Revelation tells us to drink and drink deeply and be satisfied. And on that day when all of that is true, there will be a moment where you and I will get to look at each other and we'll get to smile. Like we'll get to make eye contact in that great crowd of worshipers. And we'll get to just kind of nod and say, we did it. He did it. And we're home. Let's pray.